with you all today. Um, I was troubled with, with what I was going to say today. I, I had everything thought in my mind, and I had everything written out these past couple of days. And then just yesterday, last night, in fact, um, I just felt in my spirit that, that it wasn't it. And, um, and so I, I'm kind of worried and fearful, especially since this is the first time that I'm speaking before you all um, as a member of this church. But, but I'm trusting God, and I, I believe that what he's given me will be able to be expressed um, rightly. Uh, and it was because I, when I was writing everything down and when I was going through everything, um, I went about it with a mentality of it being a sermon or me teaching a lesson. Not in how I was formulating my presentation, but just in how my mindset of, uh, of me writing it. And, and I knew that that wasn't right because I'm not preaching a sermon or I'm not teaching a lesson. I'm, I'm just here to express my burden and my calling uh, that I feel from God today. And, and so I watched everything and um, I'm just going to try to be as, as real and um, as truthful as I can. Uh, I'll be going on the, the Benelux trip. Uh, the Benelux Union is a union uh, in Western Europe that consists of Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg. Uh, we'll be there for 10 days. Um, we'll be traveling. We'll be sightseeing castles and going through cities and experiencing new culture, the food and, and the history of it all and all things like that, and that's all good. But, but our true goal there is, is to be missionaries and to, to spread his gospel. Um, We'll be in Brussels. We'll have the opportunity to uh, for outreach, and we'll be having uh, services there as well. And then, and then when we go to um, uh, when we go to the Netherlands, we'll be teaming up with brother and sister Calhoun. And followed by that, when we go to Luxembourg, we'll be teaming up with brother and sister Favors um, in our missions work there as well. Um, I first got called to go on a trip of some sort uh, this past summer, uh, sometime between June and the end of our Bible quizzing nationals, which I believe is early uh, August or late July. I'm not quite sure. I don't really remember. Um, and I knew that God had been calling me and preparing me for, to take that next step in my ministry, but I wasn't quite sure what that was exactly. And so I waited and and then I, I felt called from God and he just told me he just told me to go. And and that doesn't seem like a very dynamic story and that doesn't seem like like how some people may be called to do new missions work or to 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 advance in their ministry. But it was special and specific for me because I'm the type of person who doesn't do well with the generic terms when God's speaking to me. I'm, I very much prefer and am naturally um, suited for, for the specific things because it's not that my faith is wavering or it's not that I, God knows that 
that I that I do it, and God knows that if he, whatever He tells me to do, that that I I don't have hesitation in doing it. That's not my problem there. But my problem rather is that when He tells me something, and He just tells me for in this instance to go, I I just question what He means by that because in most cases I don't quite. Um, I think too literal, and I overthink it all, and and so, for instance, he'll tell me to walk, and then I'd stand, and I'd ask him which way I'm supposed to walk, and then the whole time where I'm just sitting waiting for a response, doing nothing, he's just expecting me to walk while I'm supposed to be trusting in him for the direction, and so that was kind of, that's kind of my general problem when it comes to the general commands from God, but since that is my problem, he tends to use those most often in my life. (laughs) And I think that's a testament to God's sense of humor, which I certainly believe that he has. And, And so, in this case, however, he just told me to go, and although in most cases... I'd, I'd have at least pondered and thought about what that meant and, and what he meant by that. But in this specific case, um, because I've been waiting and, and just patient with, what, with waiting for what he wanted to tell me, once he actually did tell me, um, I, I knew exactly what he meant, even from just one word. And I didn't need to ask him for... for extra clarification or anything like that. I knew that he wanted me to go and to reach souls specifically through missions. And so AYC has done, um, and even Youth on Missions, they're great outlets to do that and they've made it uh, easy for young people like myself to, uh, to go into the field and to, to get my feet wet, if you will. Um, and so even though I know that God has, has called me to go on this mission trip, uh, and, and that I feel, and I know that that is my calling, um, I also know that I still don't have everything that I'd expect myself to, to know and to be equipped with, if you will, um, for this trip, because I'd always thought before for for a mission trip like this that I knew it was coming and in the months, excuse me, past, um, thinking about it and getting myself ready for it, I always thought that, you know, I have to have every line dotted and I've got to get all of this stuff in order and stuff like that. But, and it kind of, it's hard for me to be at peace when when I was thinking about the, all that because it's like flustered, I've still got all of this other stuff to do, you know, I, I got school, quizzing, um, and, and then I'm feeling called to do this as well. And so obviously there's a lot of fear that goes into that. But, but at the same time, even though I don't have my life necessarily together as I would think, and I don't have all the questions that I have answered, and I still have fears, but I know at the same time, even with all that going in my mind, that I can't give those any attention and any focus on that. Because when I know that God's called me to do something, it doesn't really matter what I feel or what I think. Because if I give any attention to those things, to my fears, to, 
to the mistakes of my past and to what I think that I need to be prepared to do, then in reality, I'm just being selfish and I'm being prideful. So I have to do what God's called me to do, whether I feel like I'm quote unquote ready or not. And the verse that's carried me through this is Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I'm sure most of you are familiar with this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that verse right there has given me a lot of peace through whatever fears that may have come my way, though they may have been briefly, though they may have lingered. um, That verse um, has always been literally by my bedside. I have like a plaque that has it on. Um, And so I find comfort in that verse and... Um, and I find even more comfort knowing that even though I'm still relatively new to this church, that I know how selfless all of you people are in your giving and in your walk with God, that even though some of you may not know me very personally or very well, that you guys are more concerned about the kingdom of God in that upbringing than favoritism or biased in personally knowing me. And so I find comfort in that, and that's really given me um, confidence and peace to come over here, to come up here, excuse me, and to do express my burden and, and what I feel called from God to do. So I thank you all for that, and, um, and, and that's all I have for you today. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I got my phone up here so I can keep it under five minutes like I was told. I just want to say how incredibly humbled I am by this opportunity. Um, like Ryland said, I know we just moved here recently, and many of you don't know who we are, or you don't know us very well. So the fact that this church is willing to open up their hearts like this, it's um, it's very humbling. And I um, and I'll explain why it's so pers- uh, personal, why I'm getting emotional about it. But um, you have no idea how much I appreciate it, and how much it means to me. So. Over the last few days, I've been struggling about what to speak on because, honestly, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what I was going to say, how I should go about this. Um, I second-guess everything I do, so I'll have something in plan, and then I'll realize, wait, I don't want to do that. That sounds stupid. I want to do something else, and then I'll change it like four times. So I realized, you know what? I'm just going to be transparent, and I'm just going to give my backstory on why I feel called into into my ministry and kind of just an opening as to how everything went about to this moment. Um, So a few years ago at youth camp, I felt a call to ministry, specifically a burden for missions. Now, I still don't know if that calling will lead to full-time missions or just lead as a stepping stone towards a different path. Like Brother Desi was saying, you don't know where missions will take you. So I thought that was really cool. Like it kind of tied to my thing as well. I thought that was neat. I was like, ooh, God, you know what you're doing. Exactly. (laughs) All I know is that I have a burden, and it is strong. I attended my first AYC trip back in 2015 to Washington, D.C. 
And although it was only a North American destination, it was an incredible life-changing experience and I instantly became hooked on missions. I came home from that trip excited and uplifted and immediately started making plans to attend a global trip the following year. Shortly after applying for a trip, I discovered that I had a rare form of idiopathic scoliosis which would ultimately result in undergoing spinal fusion surgery. With this, with finding this out, I was absolutely, completely devastated. It rocked my world and turned everything upside down. Um, with having my operation planned for March and the trip planned in June, I unfortunately had to cancel the trip due to the estimated two-year recovery that the surgery would give me. I was, as I said, I was absolutely devastated. And I had applied for a trip to Spain. And I was super excited, just the history and the culture and just the, if you know anything about Europe, Europe is in kind of like, I don't know how to word this, spiritually dark, I guess, if you can put it. Um, um, and I was confused as to why God would give me such a strong burden and unlock a door only to discover that the door is still dead bolted up top. And I couldn't open it and that was frustrating. So after I had my surgery and the 2017 application became open, I was excited and I began to pray and seek direction about applying for a trip in summer of 2017. I still felt strongly burdened, but I did not feel a confirmation or urging towards any of the destinations that year. And I felt God impress upon me to wait for his timing. Fortunately, I was blessed to attend a mini missions trip with the former church I was attending to Haiti. And... Uh, there was phenomenal revival, like incredible revival. We saw, I think it was over 400 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and 37 people were baptized during the, our, I think it was a four-day four trip. It was absolutely incredible. It was rejuvenating in my spirit. It was, it was just an incredible experience. Um, oh, I lost my place. Okay, so yeah, as I said, I came back once again encouraged and enriched, and I was hyped about the upcoming AYC season. But once again, as it came time to apply, I felt God urged me to wait. And I was frustrated, and I'm like, God, why are you doing this? I had this burden, and I feel like I have this calling, and you keep slamming every door in my face. What's, what's going on? But reluctantly, I held off once again, and I obeyed. I lost my place again. <laughs> Okay, so fast forward to this past September, and I was feeling the urgency unlike previous years to apply. So I was like, okay, God, this is the year. I'm, I'm, I feel ready. So while I was at general conference, I got the confirmation I was searching for. So as most of you know, we, re we relocated from Florida back in September, which is probably the worst time to relocate, especially for a college student, because that's, that's when school starts. And I'd already taken a year off because of my surgery, and I didn't want to hold off my education any further. Um, uh, so I was planning to pursue taking an online course to kind of stay on track for this one semester, and then I would jump in to doing uh, school in January here at a campus. Um, but I found out that God had other plans. Before I left for conference, I asked God to give me a sign about an AYC trip, and boy, did he. The day after we arrived, I got an email from the school I was planning on pursuing my education with, saying that my application had been denied. No application, or, no explanation or reason, just denied. Shocked and confused, I went to the youth service and began to cry before God, asking for an explanation as to why this would happen, why another door was just slammed in my face. And that's... And that's when I heard him say, this is the season you must trust and remain faithful to my promises. Take this time to focus on my plans and your education will come. 
apply for a trip, and I will have everything taken care of by January. Do not fundraise or worry. I have it all in my control. This is my timing. And what many of you, some of you might not know, in January was when Pastor Stephen approached us about, um, I don't know how to word this, not, not having to cover and having the church kind of go forth with this. And I remember I came, pay the bill there. That's, <laughs> um, I, I, I came home after that Sunday he spoke and it all just started flooding back to this moment that I had at conference. And when I heard him speak those words, I knew that all, all the waiting and all the closed doors and every struggle and every hardship was for a greater purpose that I did not yet understand. I am thrilled to be attending this AYC trip to Benelux, which consists of of the three nations of um, Luxembourg, Netherlands, and Belgium. Um, the total population of the three countries combined is almost 28 million people, yet you can fit all three countries together in half the state of Pennsylvania. That is tiny. And there are only two churches for those three nations. So basically, 14 million people per church. That's a lot of people. That, no, like, I haven't seen a church that's 14 million people, but I did glory to God, because that would be amazing. Um, and you could actually fit the entire nation of Luxembourg in just the Wilmington uh, city area, which that's really tiny. I think I saw, was it something like 1.9 million people or something just in the country. And to have that many people in Wilmington, that would, that's a lot of people. Um, while we are in uh, Brussels, we will have the opportunity to help the homeless through the SERVE projects, um, which is basically community service work, I guess. Um, every AYC trip does it, and so we'll be able to help the homeless. We're going to have services with them. We're going to have street services. Uh, we'll also have many outreach opportunities and evangelistic services throughout the nations to share the love of God. Like Ryland said, we will be ministering with um, Brother and Sister Calhoun and Brother and Sister Favors, which I'm super excited about. The fact that we not only have one missionary, but we have two sets of missionaries. Um, these nations are rich in history and culture, yet there is a desperate need for revelation and deliverance. Like I said, um, Europe is very dark spiritually. Um, just, it's just saddening to have so many people not know the truth and to have so many people who refuse to know the truth. It's very sad, saddening. And I hope to, I've been praying just to come in contact with someone. If I don't even impact five people, just to come in contact with one person and just show them Christ and impact their life and change it. Um, I just want to, I, once again, I just want to thank you all for this opportunity. Um, I've attended a few churches, and I can honestly say that not a single one would have been willing to do what you guys are willing to do for us. Um, church that I attended for years, and the fact that we've only been here not even six months and you all are willing to open up your hearts like this to people you don't even know. I mean, how many people can do that? I, I'll be honest and say that I would have a hard time doing that. I'm like, I don't know you. Why would I, well, why would I do that? Like, 
I'm just, that's just me, though. I mean, it's human nature. I'm like, why would I help you? I don't know you. <laughs> and so the fact that you guys are willing to do that and the fact that through you guys doing this was confirmation to me. It was, just per, it was just a personal confirmation for me for what God had promised me, what was it, eight years ago when he started calling me to ministry and the fact that even back in October, he promised and I held off and I was like, okay, God, whatever, I'm going to apply. I'm not going to have any money, but I'm going to apply anyway. And just to trust him like that and for him to come through, through, your, through you guys. It's truly a blessed church. I'm truly blessed to be here. And I am beyond excited to see what God has in store for this incredible trip. And I know that God is going to bless this church abundantly for its sacrifice. Mom, stop. She's texting me time. I know it's time. <laughs> Gotta give me, I'm almost done. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't think I was that long. I haven't been that long. I'll hurry up. Okay. Anyway, I'll take that as my cue. Once again, thank you all. I appreciate you all so much. I love you. Thank you. Unfortunately, Kim has my number, so let's just hope she doesn't text me as well, because in the spirit of Stephen Beardsley, I'm going to take a whopping seven minutes and 30 seconds today. So I have a PowerPoint here. That, that you see right there in the middle of South America is the country of Paraguay, which is where I'll be going in just a few months to minister down there with some missionaries. Better start my timer. Okay. This is a picture of Delaware right next to Paraguay. That little red area up in Delaware is Newcastle County, the area wherein we all reside. And the little red bit in Paraguay is the two districts of Paraguay that I'll be spending most of my time in. That is not a two-scale comparison, however. That is a two-scale comparison of Paraguay versus Delaware. Delaware is about 2,000 square miles, and Paraguay is about 157,000 square miles. You could fit 79 Delawares inside of Paraguay. And I actually just got an email from Jonathan Greer, the missionary I'll be spending time with there. They have about 53 pe preaching points in Paraguay, which would be equivalent of having less than one church inside of Delaware. That's, that's insane. So in Paraguay, there are 7 million people living there, 7 million souls that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's only 15 people per square kilometer. I should, should have changed that to square mile to be consistent with the other slide. But continuing, that's only 15 people for every square kilometer. That is very few people in a very large space. 95% of the people living there are ethnically mestizo, which is a term that means half-blood. It's a mix between the Spanish conquistadores who came in and, you know, conquered South America, and the indigenous people living there. So 95% of the people there have the same ethnicity. This is the Greer family, the family I'll be spending um, my time with there, Jonathan and Christina, and their two kids, Judah and Micah. Judah is the eldest, and Micah is the wee little bay sitting there with Christina. This here is a video that Jonathan recently posted on social media, giving a little tour of the church premises, so I'll play that now. This is the, uh, the sanctuary here of the, uh, the church here in Lombardy. Um, we've got some 
overflow up here in the balcony for when we have uh, um, maybe some conferences and things like that. Sunday mornings, this, this sanctuary is pretty full. Um, up there is where our music team plays. And these are just the, the, the pre-K through fifth graders that are getting out right now. It's 5 o'clock here. Um, and what, we, what they do here is because of the, we don't have the, the, the space to, to house all of the, all of the students. So in the mornings from 7 to, to noon, our high, middle school and high schoolers come. And they're here from, from about 7 o'clock to noon. And then we switch. And at 1 o'clock, the, uh, the pre-K through 5th graders, they, they come and, and, and they're here. So they're just now getting out. They get, they, they're here from 1 to 5. And this is a this school is fully run and operated by the United Pentecostal Church of Paraguay. I don't know how many foreign missions works we have that have something like this, but it's pretty incredible. The vast majority of the students that are part of this school are not uh, apostolic kids. They're just neighborhood kids. Their families aren't a part of the church. Um, this gives us a really great opportunity to uh, to reach out to them, connect with those families. Um, and uh, and we see we've seen a lot of kids that have been filled with the Holy Ghost in the chapel services, been baptized in our youth services as a result of it, and uh, and their families are are impacted by it as well. So uh, these are these are one of the classrooms here. Let's see if I can kind of sneak in here, give you guys a little peek. Hola, cómo está? One of our professors there, one of our teachers. Uh, you'll notice above all these classrooms, there's two words, there's two different languages that are written up here. You got the the, the bottom language there's in Spanish. That upper language is uh, is the language they speak here in Paraguay called Guarani. It's a native language. Pretty much everybody here speaks both languages. So, um, got a got a bilingual country here going on. So, but anyways, I uh, just wanted to kind of give everybody a quick tour um, everything that's going on here and we're going to have service tonight looking forward to a great service we had somebody get the Holy Ghost Sunday and, uh, and believing that God's going to do something great with us tonight as well thank you for your prayers and, and, uh, and stay, stay in contact love all you guys Bye. and what he was saying there about the two languages Guarani and Spanish that again ties into the very eth ethnically homogenous people living there everybody there is Almost everybody living there is of the same ethnicity. So now I'll be talking to you about specifically what I'll be doing while down there in Paraguay. First thing I'll be helping with down there is their uh, Instituto Bíblico Apostolico del Paraguay, um, the Apostolic Bible Institute of Paraguay, uh, serving as a teacher's aide, helping them with classes and really anything that the teachers need help with and assisting with Bible college classes and office work. That office work is really just something that anybody can do. I'll just be another set of hands down there helping them do something that just a, a warm body is needed to fill. Um, and then I'll also be helping out with their pre-K through fifth graders that you saw there in the video uh, at the New Heights Christian School, again serving as teacher's aide, helping out the professors there with any help they need, and assisting with English classes and working with students as an English tutor. So as you saw, the one professor there, she, she was uh, Paraguayan, so not many people there I expect to speak Spanish. So I'll be able to help the kids there learn to speak, no, many people do speak Spanish, not many people speak English. So I'll be able to help some of the kids there learn English. So then the 
next thing I'll be helping with is the Central Church of Lambare, which is the uh, city I believe that Jonathan's church that I'll be helping with is in. Um, I can assist in musical capacities, doing kind of what I do here, just playing instruments. Um, teaching in youth services, which is not the pre-K through fifth graders, but uh, young teenagers that they're teaching to that are in their high school and middle school. Um, working with kids ministry Bible school classes on Saturday, which is kind of a little bit of an extension of the pre-K through fifth graders. Um, the pre-K through fifth graders in that school are not being taught in that school about God and about Jesus Christ and about the gospel. They're being taught elementary school things. They're being taught math and writing and all of that. So these Saturday Bible school classes are where they actually offer Bible school classes to the kids that go to the pre-K through fifth grade school. And then also, again, just being a warm body there, helping ministry in administrative areas of the daily church operation. And on the national scale, I'll also be able to help out. It's really exciting. They have a Bible quizzing program there, which is awesome. I'll be able to assist with the national Bible quizzing finals, uh, coaching or judging or um, being of help there. Also assisting with Voices of Jubilee. I'm assuming that that's going to be translated in Spanish while I'm down there. But uh, Voices of Jubilee is a national music conference and competition. Um, and so I'll be able to help out there, uh, do some judging and uh, training the co competitors. So that'll be good. And also working with local churches where needs arise. Again, just being a warm body. That, that's one of the biggest things I'll be able to help the people there with is just being there for really anything that is needed because there's a need for people to be down there and actually helping. So uh, at the age of 12, I was called to pastor, and God hasn't really extrapolated on that very much and given me any clarification. I just need to pastor, and I believe that this trip to Paraguay in just a few months will be the next step that I need to take in that. So. I'd like to echo my friend's thanks to you as a congregation. I, I've been raised here, so it's kind of like, oh, we give to missions? Isn't that normal? But yeah, it, you, you guys really are amazing in how willing you are to serve God and his mission overseas and give to that. So I thank you. Thank you. It amazes me every single time God does this, of how he is able and chooses to orchestrate the message that he wants to come to you. Brother Desi, um, in fact, honestly, I almost forgot that we had just a thought, and I almost this morning canceled it to focus upon uh, our mission service. And I thought, well, it won't hurt anything. I'll let it be. So as he stepped to the pulpit and he began to share with you, you never know where mission is going to take you. And using the example of the Apostle Paul, identifying a young man named Timothy. And from everything we can see within the narrative, there was no indication of where all that Timothy was going to go and what all he was going to become and in particular, what role he was going to play in the life of the person who had the vision to invite him. What is extremely ironic to me this morning is that I have had laid on my heart for quite some time as the closer 
to this service to talk to you about how Paul became a missionary. And the parallel of Paul to Timothy is simply amazing. In Acts chapter 13, we are told, and this is our model. I don't know that I have emphasized this yet over the years, but you need to understand that this is what Newark is trying to be. We have never tried to be a Jerusalem church. We have always tried to be an Antioch church. But I want to do this a little reverse today, and I want to show you the end of the story. It's one you're familiar with. It's one that I have presented at times before you. And so it tells us that there were, in Antioch, Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, there were these prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Menaean, who was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch from childhood, and Saul. Now, the first thing I want you all to recognize is this is where we're at. You notice it does not say Antioch, Paul's church, or Antioch, Niger's church, or Antioch, Barnabas's church. No, from its inception, Antioch was a church of multiple pastors, a team working together. And I don't need to re-preach or represent to you, but we are hopefully coming out of, but making that transition from that which is central to starting a church, a pastor-centric model, to a team. And all of you are navigating that path, and all of you are doing pretty well. There's occasionally I run into a little resistance. I don't want anybody else. I want you. And I weigh how heavily I push back against that and force you to deal with some of these other very capable people, whether it be in teaching, whether it be in preaching, whether it be in pastoral care. But verse 1 sets up a scenario in which there is a team of people who are caring for this church. While, verse 2, they are serving the Lord and they're fasting, the Holy Spirit says, set apart. Appoint. Send. For me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Not to the work which you have called them, not to the place that you have vision for, but to the place that I have vision for. And the church at Antioch responded. Then, after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. This is an Antioch spirit, one that does not hold on to those who are present. One who does not express ownership of either people nor of vision. I know that my father and I have at times talked about the timing in which I say it, and he's been concerned that I would communicate to you a lack of commitment to you, but you have to understand there will come a day when my phase is done and another must step into that place. This is not our church. This is not our vision and nobody in these walls are ours. It is God's church, it is God's vision, and it's God's people. I am very much committed to this place. 
but I am even more committed to the God of this place. I am very much committed to the vision of this place, but I'm even more committed to the God who gave the vision of this place. And I'm very committed to you as people, but I am even more committed to the God who loved you while you were still a sinner and he died for you. The church at Antioch did not clutch for control. They released. In contrast, and I don't have time this morning because I want to be expeditious and move to a time of prayer, a time of anointing these young people and our giving behind them. But Jerusalem had trouble with control. Jerusalem struggled about control. In fact, I'm going to read to you in just a moment how the church at Antioch was birthed. And you're going to hear within that narrative that the church at Jerusalem sent to try to gain control of Antioch. But thankfully, under the inspiration of God, they sent the wrong slash right man. A man who did not take control. A man who had vision. A man who had vision to see what others could not see. We, Newark UPC, cannot be about ourselves. You say, well, we're not. Well, here's the danger. The more that we give to missions, the more that we can placate ourselves that we're doing the work of God and everything's okay. And we can go on to autopilot and we can stop hearing the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me, for my work, those I've chosen. In other words, the very faithfulness that we have done over the years can in fact turn around if we are not careful and intentional and purposeful and be the very thing that allows us to think we're good, we're okay, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we are, but God's vision always grows. God's vision never stays static. Let me actually be more precise with you. God's vision isn't what's changing, but the revelation of that vision is what's changing. He has not told us everything he's about to do through us. He has not revealed to us everything that he is about to do. He has not shown to anybody in this world all that he has planned. And we have to be following the leading of the Spirit. We've got to hear his voice. We've got to be able to respond when he speaks in the midst of a team, in the midst of a good thing, in the midst of growth, in the midst of the gospel going forth, in the midst of intercultural ministry, in the midst of a, of, a, of a diverse congregation, all characteristics of Antioch, all characteristics that look like us. We've got to hear the voice of God. He's got to be able at any moment to speak to us and say, I need this from you. And when we don't understand, when we think, well, that's going to affect what we're doing, we've got to be able to hear the voice of God and respond without hesitation. Yes, Lord. Here's the money you need. Here's the people you need. Here's myself that you need. We must be this Antioch church. Jerusalem never sent a missionary. They only sent emissaries to see what was going on. 
Go read the book of Acts. I'm not kidding you. I'm not trying to be mean to the church of Jerusalem, but I'm telling you, go look at the book of Acts. They would send people, but they would go to check it out. Antioch sent missionaries. Antioch let go of the control. Antioch released people to be led by the Spirit to go and to do what they were called to do. The birth of Antioch came not because Jerusalem sent some people, but because some people came from Jerusalem that had a different vision than Jerusalem did. I have to tell you people, James and Eleanor Beardsley came to this place and they had a different vision than most churches in the United Pentecostal Church. What makes this place unique, it doesn't make us more important, but it makes us unique, is that James and Eleanor Beardsley walked into this town and says, God, allow us to plant a church where everybody that nobody else wants is welcome. Elders in their lives warned them, the type of people you reach will impact how you grow, how they look, how they speak, how they act. All of those things will impact how they grow. You can go and ask the elder now. I've heard him tell it many a time. He quietly in his spirit rebuked that wrong attitude and ignored them. The special needs are welcome here. The sexually dysfunctional are welcome here. The people who have money are welcome here, but the people who don't have money are welcome here. The people who are educated are welcome here, but the people who aren't educated are welcome here. White, black, brown, and everything in between is welcome here. Men and women are welcome here. Children are welcome here. Dysfunctional families are welcome here. Everybody is welcome here. It's a different kind of church. The misnomer, you can find them around us. We've got one right around the corner. Is in order to have a real church, you got to move away from real doctrine. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Real people need real salvation, and real salvation comes by real doctrine. You're not reached by me dropping down the bar. It's by calling you up. You're not reached by me saying, oh, you're okay where you're at. You're reached by me saying, let's go someplace where God has called you to be. Let's go do something that you don't have the ability to do. Let's go be what God has called us to be. That starts with people who are not yet equipped. As I stand here this morning, as I preach under the unction of the Spirit of God, even those of you who are watching your clock and saying, we're at 1215, how long has this taken? There's also a side of you <laughs> that is riveted, that is pulled by the anointing that's operating right here. You're not watching totally because you're not sure what's going to happen here. Some of you have memory of when I first took a pulpit. It didn't look like this. It didn't sound like this. It didn't feel like this. God does not call the equipped. He equips those he chooses to call. He is sovereign. He is capable. Now let me, let me show you how important this is and how important it is for us to recognize that money is not the only giving we must do. We must give people. If you go back to Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 tells us 
that there's been persecution in Jerusalem. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but the Jews. They targeted their audience. They picked the audience that worked with them culturally. They targeted the audience that they could eat together with without any problems. They targeted the audience that had shared customs and shared ways of living. And they would only preach to the Jews. But oh, thank God for some people that have vision. Thank God for some people that can hear the voice of the Spirit that says, this gospel is for everyone. It is for every nation. It is for every language. It is for every tongue and people. There were some from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. When you go and do what God tells you to do, look at this next verse. The hand of the Lord was with them. That's all we need. We just need the hand of the Lord with us. We don't need money. We don't need lands. We don't need power. We don't need anything. We just need the hand of the Lord with us because everything else comes with the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now look at Jerusalem. Sorry. A report about them came to the attention of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They didn't send other missionaries. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Check it out. Bring us back a report. Tell us what's happening, because we're not so comfortable about this gospel going to these Gentiles. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a significant number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25 is pivotal. Once Barnabas steps to Antioch and he sees what God was doing, the first thing he does is he searches back in his memory to a young man who had probably decades before come to Jerusalem. He had gained him audience with the apostles. This young man had been the great persecutor of the persecution of Stephen. He had been the young man who had caused trouble in Damascus. He had spent time in the desert. He had come and begun to preach in Jerusalem and caused the Jerusalem church such a kerfuffle that they sent him off to his hometown of Tarsus and said, we'll contact you when we're ready. Ready to do anything with you and they had left him there for over a decade now you got to rework your brain right now because when you hear the word Saul when you hear the name Paul you think the missionary that's not where it started he was not a missionary he was one that knew a lot he had gifts and talents but he didn't know how to handle it he bothered the church at Jerusalem he caused all kinds of trouble and they wanted nothing to do with him but Barnabas was a man of vision Barnabas saw something in that young man Barnabas said there's something that that's going to happen there I don't know how it's going to pan out all Oh my, they're rough around the edges. You stand and watch these young people with all due respect. There's more ums and I don't knows and hold on. They're all kinds of all over the place. I've lost my place. I'm nervous. I don't even know what I'm up here doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Hear me, Newark UPC. That is who God calls. God calls the people who are available, not the equipped, the available. Someday, mark it down. 
these people that we are beginning to send, you will stand in awe. They will stand in major conferences. They will stand behind that pulpit. They will go to countries and nations. They will plant churches. And they will do things that you will be able to comment, as some of you have. I remember when. But God does a work. But that work is dependent upon the vision of humans. So the gospel is going to people it shouldn't go to. A church is being planted in a way that it shouldn't be planted. And Barnabas says, I got to go. I'll be back. Y'all were doing okay before I got here. You'll be fine while I'm going. I got to go. And he makes a trip to Tarsus. He departs for Tarsus in verse 25 to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, word order matters here. It's not Saul and Barnabas. It's not Paul and Barnabas. It's Barnabas and Saul. When you look at that list of people, Saul is the last one. He's the tag along. He's the dude doing whatever somebody asked him to do. He's the warm body. But Barnabas says, if I'll get him present, if I'll get him in this environment, I sense something in this church. I sense something in what's happening here. I sense something in the spirit. If I get that boy into this environment, something's going to happen. If I get that boy into this contact, something's going to happen. And so he went and he got him. He brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church. They taught significant numbers of people. And that's the church where the disciples were first called Christians. See, we always fast forward. We are looking for Paul. God is looking for Saul. We're looking for the young lady who has all the talents. And God's looking for the young lady that keeps banging on his door saying, please, would you let me go on missions? Come on now, church. You got to hear me right now. This is where the voice of God needs to speak to you about giving because this, we want, we want in on this. What he's doing, we want in on this. There is no shot. There's nothing more important than being in on this. I'm telling you right now, you want in on this. Because when you invest in what God's doing, there is no downside. Whether you're investing your child, as I am and Regina is, or as Russ and Kim are. Or whether you're simply investing your money. Parents, track them, educate them, prepare them. But they are for the kingdom. And if you don't want me telling them that... You better find another church and you better go to another location. Your children are not for you. They are not your security. They are not your retirement package. They are not your pride point. They are an inheritance from the Lord. They are his and they need to be dedicated to him. They are for his purpose. They are for his kingdom. They are for his doing. You don't get a Paul Without the vision of somebody saying, hey, Paul, come hang out with me. What am I going to do? I don't know. You just got to see something. We'll figure it out. Just as Paul comes through, sees Timothy, says, hey, Timothy, come hang out with me. What am I going to do? I don't know. Just come along. From an efficiency perspective, 
we would be more efficient to take our $15,000 and give it to a veteran missionary. Because kingdom impact, forgive me, young people, I'm not trying to depress you. Please, 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 please. Give me some latitude to cast some vision here. But kingdom impact from these three young people is going to be pretty small. But that's not the point. Because God's not working in the past. And he's not just working in the present. God has a future planned. God has a future planned. I don't even know what that future is. I promise you Barnabas, with all of his vision, could not have known what Paul was going to do. He even later on didn't agree with what Paul did. But God unleashed upon the world the most powerful, impacting preacher of the gospel that the world had ever seen. And it hinged upon a man having enough vision to overrule the authorities of one church. Go find Tarsus, go find Saul, and bring him to the field. That set up the environment that the Spirit could speak and say, now, set apart a point for me, Barnabas and Saul, for my work that I have planned for them. With all due respect, and I do not want to be disrespectful, I'm very proud of all three of these young people, Taylor and Ryland, the daughter and the son of one of my dearest friends. And obviously you know that I love my children. But church, we got to have a vision that's way bigger than what just stood before us. we got to see way beyond what they said. we got to have more vision than they got. we got to have more hope than they have we got to have more confidence than they have. And when we lay our hands upon them in just a few moments and we pray the anointing upon them, we need to believe in them more than they're even believing in themselves. Because when we do that, what happens is, is we unleash the Spirit of God to equip them and prepare them and call them and direct them. And before you know it, you're going to see the kingdom. Not our lives, not our plans. The kingdom grow. Through young people that don't know what they're doing, they're trying. I look at those pictures of Desi and Rachel. I didn't know you then, but I can extrapolate. You came to us highly proficient, but boy, you've grown a lot even since you came, so I can even imagine how bad it was then. You stand here in this pulpit. I get people come and say, oh, I love to listen to Brother Desi. Oh, I love Sister Rachel. I love how she speaks. Oh, Arash is awesome. He's amazing. Oh, Sister Meg speaks. And I'm like, well, I've, I've known them all when they weren't quite so good. <laughs> and I know how much they've grown since they've been here, so I can only imagine how bad it was. All the way back at 15 or 16 or 17 or 18. But you see, God is a God of vision. And if we're going to be his church, we got to have his vision, not our vision. we got to be able to see with his eyes, not our eyes. we got to be able to put priority on his priorities, not ours. And so, Lil, do you got one plate or two? I just need two. 
One on either side of this main central section. Now, I know we've gone a little long. I know we're at 1226. There's no altar call. If you need to repent, that's, that's tonight. Come tonight. Russ will preach you into repentance. You want to get baptized? We'll make sure you repent before you get baptized, and we'll baptize you. This, this is a sending service. This is a consecration service. And we're going to send them with our prayers, just like we do all the other missionaries. We're going to send them with our prayers, and we're going to send them with our money. That's what we've been doing for 40 years. And bless God, we're not changing it. Everything we have and all that God has done through us has come through that system. We're not changing it. All we're doing is adding to the vision that we're going to send our own. I need these three young people to come join me right up here in the front. Turn around and face the congregation when you come up. Again, I don't want to offend them. But I kind of have a feeling that the reason that God calls calls those that are not yet equipped is a way to screen out all those who aren't really committed. You're going to have to have vision to get on board with this. I love them. I have great respect for them. But dear God, if all of heaven is counting on these three to take the gospel to the world, sweet Jesus, have mercy. But I don't know whether in this group or next year's group or the group following, I don't know where the Apostle Paul is. I don't know where the Billy Cole is that's going to go to Thailand. I don't know where Missionary Burr is that goes to Paraguay. I don't know where the Jonathan Greer is. I don't know where the Stephen Beardsley is. We can't see that, but God does. And you've got to hear his spirit. You've got to hear his spirit when he says, separate me. Give me those people for my calling, for my purpose. I will equip them. I will get them ready. But you've got to partner with me. God help us that this is the first and we have not one year of a gap in which in some way or form or fashion we send out of here not just our monthly contributions to missionaries of others. But God help us from this point forward to be known as a church that sends into the mission field. Give us the people. Call them. Prepare them. We trust you with it. But God, we dedicate ourselves to you. God, I do not control what happens here. But with any authority I have as the angel of this church, as the pastor of this assembly, I call upon that authority. And I commit ourselves that we will be a church not like Jerusalem, but like Antioch that sends forth. For growth comes when we have an open hand. Growth comes when we're willing to do what your kingdom purpose is. Growth comes not when we hold to ourselves, but when we release into your hands. In Jesus' name. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you flow into the altars right now? It's not time to give. Flow into the altars right now and come and lay hands on these young people. I want you young people to step forward. Step forward into the middle of the altar so people can get in front of you and back of you. Come forward and lay your hands on them. You're sending them. I'm not sending them. The pastoral team's not sending them. You are sending them. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Shara, da, 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 